welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Camden. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D games. This episode is brought to you by our generous Patreon donors. Thank you guys for being awesome <laughs> and supporting the show. Um, for those of you that don't know, Patreons is a tool for fans to support their favorite creators. And I would like you guys to know that right now our patrons are helping fund our Unearth Tips and Tricks book. You heard that right. Book. As in paper. Yeah. As and in we read. We're literate. <laughs> I listen to Audible, <laughs> so that's only partially true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but to be fair, you listen to Audible mostly when you drive. So, and when I'm laying on my wife's lap, so I don't have to listen to her nagging. <laughs> she bought me this awesome like wireless Bluetooth headset. It's fantastic. I just plug one in, and then whenever she talks, I just turn my head a little bit, so that's the part facing her. It's glorious. I love you, honey. I'm just kidding. I, I'm just kidding for all you people that are freaking out right now. Yes, yeah, so this will all be the same of, one all that two you of our uh, listeners. referred to as the uh, Oath of Conquest uh, Paladin. <laughs> she listened to that episode. She was not amused. <laughs> Shit, I thought it hurt some. I thought she was coming in like, damn, she got like spider sense. Doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, Sam says he listens to a podcast. It sounds like he's lowering his standards. Um, so, yep. Um, Patreon is a powerful tool that you can uh, support us. But if you you don't want to become a patron, there are other ways to support us. If you don't know, on our website, you can buy a T-shirt with our our logo on it. And I'm in the process of uh, creating more. Um, but anyways, you can support us by checking out the tools tip the tools that we have on our website you can buy a t-shirt those are awesome we also have on our website we have like all the support books and everything as well as going to dms guild we have a, a link to our our, our page yep. and if you buy anything from there we get a small kickback from it so there are a lot of ways to support the show if you don't want to become a patron becoming a patron gives you lots of different tier rewards such as joining us live so definitely check it out and we also have uh, Brandon, who will return to us soon. He also yes, does um, yes, art commissions. He does like full body art for twenty bucks, or just shoulder line art for eight bucks. Yeah, he, he's relatively inexpensive. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out. I know Nate just got a uh, entire uh, commission, like nice big group group shot done it was really nice you can find that on our facebook and our pick photo section but yeah so definitely uh check that out if you like the show if you think we're worth just a dollar or two um definitely look into those options that being said we want to thank you for joining us today here at crit academy studios where everything's made up and your roles don't matter that's right your roles are like a fighter without any martial training soy barbarian <laughs> actually ian yes yes you're right <laughs> or or a brute so we like to start off every episode with uh, a highlight. We give away products from uh, our sponsors. And the first one comes to us from Goblinstone. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned, compliments of Goblinstone. Goblinstone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. 
They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Camden, who is our winner? Our winner today is Oscar G.U. Zero zero. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside, you gotta take the stand. It don't help. Congratulations, Oscar GU00. If you enjoy the adventure, please head on over to Goblinstone and let them know. Uh, leave them a review, tell them what you like, what you didn't like, and help them improve their product moving forward. Just as somebody that's becoming part of the DMs Guild, single-handedly one of the best things you can do is leave a review on the product because that's what people are going to look at when they're deciding to purchase an, an item so definitely do that honest reviews go a long way you can do the same for us even if you don't use itunes you can head on over to itunes and leave us a review tell us what you like what you didn't like even if you don't use an ipad or I, itunes at all these guys suck if they were toilet paper they'd not even be worried to wipe my butt <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's free to leave a review. <laughs> it costs zero money to tell us that we're bad if we're bad. Yes, and honestly, I do read all those, and I have made some improvements based on some of those. I don't change to all of them, but I do make improvements based on those. So especially we have a survey you can take even from our page too that I've taken a lot of those. Like, look at the most recent edition is I've got the – what is this called? Pop filter. Pop, I got, I got pop, pop filters now at a request of one of our – um, reviews, and I think it was one of our patrons. Um, so, I've had one for a while. I just I was lazy. Yeah, that's all. You got to step up your game, bro. We have a great episode for you today. We'll be discussing the unearthed arcana brute <laughs> archetype, as well as answering a question from Tyler N in regards to an interesting unfolding of his players' feelings towards a game, as well as our unearthed tips and tricks where we bring you new and reusable material. For you to bring with you on your next adventure. Camden, what is going on in your realms? As we pretty go through your next summit in the realm. Ah, uh, uh, sure. Um, I'm just going to let him go with it. Whatever. <laughs> uh, same shit, different day for the most part. Work has been kicking the shit out of me, uh, but taking it in stride, you know. Is it work really hard? Like, is it too much work or too hard? Or uh, Yeah, it's really hard. Very... Uh, emotionally strenuous work it's customer service work and so i'm Uh, I'm I'm getting yelled at for a living so that's rough bro yeah more to come on the next in the realm on that uh, i've gotten to pilot a necromancer homebrew class it's like a it's an entire necromancer class it's not just a subclass as part of the wizard class it's an entire necromancer class um and i'm really proud of the character concept and that that campaign's been going steady since last time and um been really really excited about that my roommate sam has done a great job uh world building his own shit um and it's it's going stupendous so far anyway uh justin what's up in your realm i done hurt my shit (laughs) do you mind elaborating oh sure um so (laughs) if you listen to the show you know that um i'm a like a sunday school teacher and i'm really involved in the kids and all that stuff uh aside from teaching i had to do this little skit on friday now, whoever says church isn't dangerous is wrong. <laughs> so I did this little skit, and of course they picked me to be the the geeky, nerdy, clumsy guy. 
And so I'm supposed to fall on my way in and fall on my way out. So I successfully critted on my, my, my acrobatics check the first time. But I rolled a net one on my way out, and I actually hurt myself. And I've got like a six-inch looks where my on my leg and my arm where my flesh was just ripped off when I fell into the rock-hard carpet. It looks so. like it looks like he uh, stuck the uh, less I was buying that belt sander. Yeah, it's it's it hurts like hell, and it's bad. Shit. Yeah, it sucked. Um, so <laughs> I'm gonna think twice next time somebody falls down a hill in D and D and says their character is fine because they rolled an <laughs> acrobatics check. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, I don't think so. And no, Canadian is not a Catholic church. I believe they all are pretty much trying to do the same thing, and that's the life goal of don't be a dick. I was uh, <laughs> I was raised Catholic, Kenny. Whatever questions you have, you can direct them towards me. Uh, make sure you email critacademy at gmail. Wait, no, 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 no. Attention, Cam. I'm just making a joke about how about the the process Catholic thing. <laughs> yeah, well, if anyone knows about being on their knees, it would be you. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so, um, but yes, I had a really great weekend with the kids. They went and slip and sliding, and um, I taught them stuff, and I learned new stuff because I always learn stuff from the kids. So I always have a really big blast. Honestly, I feel like I learn more when I'm teaching the kids than I ever do just sitting in church. So, <laughs> Ian, what's going on in your realm? Well, I had a few things going on. Like, uh, first off, I met up with some of my old college buddies over the weekend, and it was kind of fun to reconnect, see where everybody was these days. And I, in the mail, got the final expansion for Sentinels of the Multiverse, which I kickstarted so long ago that when I, I put money on it, I was still married. Oh, jeez. That is a long time ago, bro. Yeah. But basically, the fun thing about the final expansion for it is, uh, well, first off, Sentinels of the Multiverse is a uh, cooperative card game where each player plays a deck, that it, and each deck is its own unique superhero. Oh, that sounds awesome. And you're trying to play against a villain deck and an environmental deck that both influence the game in some way, shape, or form. But the last expansion, of course, releases new heroes, releases new villains. But the big villain that came with his own special scenario when you play it is essentially a Galactus slash Antimatter type villain for you Marvel and DC fans out there. You know, like an end-of-world kind of villain kind of thing. Okay. And the fun twist, though, is all the heroes that they introduced in this new set were actually like a hero version of the villains that they released in the game already. That's cool. Because the way I see it, it's like, oh, yeah, we're evil, but this guy's even worse. Let's team up. <laughs> and that's for us in the realms. And if you want to visit other realms, you can go to Audible. We can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash critacademy, or you can go through our website and click the link. Yeah. All right. So uh, moving on to our next topic, we have our Let's Talk About Blank segment where we answer your questions. Tyler N. sent us a message, uh, and he said, So I ran a game for some friends. The party consisted of entirely level one PCs. They all picked up a quest in town about some people going missing near an abandoned mine, and they wanted to investigate. During the first few encounters, which were all easy to medium CR, the party had used all their spell slots and other abilities and found the boss encounter to be harder than expected. They still managed to win, but it was very close, and at the end of the session the players complained that the boss had so much HP they had no spells or abilities left, saying, they're only level 1. But from my perspective, they didn't need to waste all their abilities before the boss. Am I wrong here? Should I have toned my encounter down? Any input is appreciated. Okay, first off, Tyler. in the nutshell... As I've mentioned some places in the past, just because you see a goblin does not mean you should go ahead and cast Fireball. 
What do you think, Camden? I think there's this. There's definitely two sides to this. I think on one end, you're absolutely right. Um, you, as the DM, probably know a little more about your beginning players, uh, about how a situation should have played out. Um, I would certainly sit down with your players and make sure that they understand that they might not have played their characters as smart as they could have. On the other side, it's all about having fun. And if it's not fun for your players, I would, you know, I would diagnose the problem and maybe even adjust the adjust the quest along the way to just tone it down a little bit. There's two, certainly two sides to this, but it sounds like it, it, you said that these are your friends that you're running for. Um, I would sit down with them, have an honest conversation like, hey, does everyone understand the mechanics of how their characters work? I know especially with beginning characters, like the whole spell slot concept is difficult for some people. Um, so I just sit down, sit down with them and make sure that they fully understand um, how to efficiently play their characters. And if, if they're if, if they're trying to be power players and they're trying to play to win, make sure you empower them with the tools to beat your bosses. Sounds to me like you're a bunch of noobs who don't know what they're doing right. <laughs> um, Sam put it in uh, per- perfectly. He I, says, I agree, actually. Hmm? I think it went perfectly. Players won, but we're challenged to the limit. And they will learn from their experience. Um, I agree 100% with that because there's there's different things that drive players fun, right? Their fun aspect. Yep. Some groups do like to mow through everything really easy and don't want to be challenged. If you as the DM... It's cathartic sometimes. Yeah, if you as the DM don't like that, then you need to have a talk say, hey... Um, you just mowing through my monsters isn't super engaging for me. Maybe we can come to a stand understanding that I can make the easier encounters early on and you can mow through them and feel indestructible. When it comes to the bosses, you should be ready and expected to be challenged because I don't want to hand that to you on a silver platter. Stelios. That being said, Stelios. Stelios. I, <laughs> I wasn't at this game, but it's very possible that that's how it was, that the wizards didn't need to use all their, their level one, so they got, what, two spell slots? So maybe two, the three. wizards using all their spell slots on, goblins. you know, the goblins, and all they had is a cantrip when they got to the end, well, that's kind of on them, because it's the responsibility of the players to mitigate that stuff. That is where the, like, the fighter's strength lies, is he doesn't have to worry about m- managing, like, spell slots or anything like that, just like his, um... Well, unless they're a Battlemaster or an Eldritch Knight. Yeah, but even then, they're still pretty freaking pretty good without those features. True. Especially but, the champion. But when it comes down to, like, certain classes, it's your responsibility to be able to mitigate that and know what your character's capable of. Um, but I, again... It- I think you. Did, I don't think Tyler did anything wrong, but that's at my. That's how I would run it at my table. It seems to me that his players had what we would call a learning experience. Yes, but we also have to understand that if they don't find the challenge fun, then that's going to come with its own issues. Yep. Um. So you will have to work that out as a, a as a team and figure out what everybody wants out of the game. Because if they're just looking to destroy and mow things down, maybe do more mass combat stuff where they can just cleave through hordes of goblins and then at the end it's more of a, a challenging puzzle as opposed to something that consumes the resources. So there's other ways around it, but I don't think you did anything wrong, Tyler, and it sounds like mo- that seems to be unanimous. <laughs> maybe, maybe flashback briefly to like the uh, physician playtest where early on the fighter would always automatically just do his strength modifier and damage even mm-hmm. if he missed. And the 
adventures that they played early on, the Kobolds had two HP. Your strength from is three. <laughs> so, Ian, what are you doing your turn? I kill a Kobold. Uh, are you going to roll for it? No, I kill a Kobold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I like that. So that'll do it for our Let's Talk About Blank segment. Camden. So, moving on to our meat and potatoes of the episode, we have our main topic. Um, we are going to be discussing our class analysis of the Unearthed Fighter archetype, The Brute. Now, if you don't know, Unearthed Arcana is not official content. It is playtest material, so keep that in mind as we are going through this. Yeah. Brutes are simple warriors who rely on mighty attacks and their own durability to overcome their enemies. Some brutes combine this physical might with tactile cunning. Others just hit things until those things stop hitting back. <laughs> that is one of my favorite ones so far. I love that. Uh... <laughs> so before we get started, uh, you two, what do you think makes this character, by that description, seem like it stands out compared to like a normal fighter or like a barbarian? Seems to me like they took the barbarian envelope and they fight their shell. Barbarian tortilla. Yeah, fight their barbarian tortilla. Yeah, I feel like this is this is a fighter subclass for people who want to be tanky and beat shit up without having to go with a barbarian background, if that makes sense. This is more of like a character archetype that I'm thinking of. Like a background archetype would be like a, like a jail rat. It's like a burrito stuffed into a chimichanga. Or a chimichanga rolled into a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Edward Tate says the barrito, <laughs> barbarito, like, like a Ooh, someone who, because like the, the barbarian has or usually has like a magical essence, not necessarily magical abilities, but um, like a shamanistic feel, uh, a a oneness with nature. Usually, people have said that. Yes, um. I feel like this is like a fighter archetype for people who want to be tanky and want like the barbarian mechanic, but have maybe a, a different backstory that might work for it. This reminds me more like a, um, a thug than any of the other archetypes or any of the other classes. Yes. Um, a barbarian is generally out to, do, to, to prove something. Uh, a fighter is often a honed soldier of sorts. And then you've got the brute, which is just a guy who swings a shit really hard and hopes for the best. And so far, it's worked out pretty good. Um, so a barbarian. No, I see. I don't, I don't envision the barbarian like that, though. Despite their often, what is it, the stereotype that they're simplistic, um, not... I don't feel like that generally is how they come across. I had them! It's still moving. I hit him again! I guess. Maybe you nailed it on the head with the bar fighter bar bar barbarian mix, I guess. But I, I don't, like, no, because not all barbarian thugs are barbarians. Thugs you can classify as a fighter. Yeah. But they don't follow that, I must win for honor, you know, to sort of type of thing. Or I must prove that I'm strong. Ha! And I feel like that's what kind of the thing is the, the barbarian is. Uh, Edward says the brute is like WWE superstar Justin, the Hulk Hogan of podcasts. <laughs> what the hell? God damn. <laughs> I should have read that one before I said it out loud. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. Uh, that's right, brother. Let's do this. All right. So, <laughs> so um, the very first feature you get access to as the brute, starting at third level, you're able to strike with your weapons with especially brutal force. 
So basically a baseball swing. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, whenever you hit with a weapon that you're proficient in uh, and deal damage, the weapon's damage uh, is increased by the amount based on your level in this class shown on the table. So at third level, it's an extra 1d4. At 10th, 1d6. 16th, 1d8. And then 20th, 1d10. Um, keep in mind, extra dice means extra dice to roll during a crit. Um, so... So, uh, so Ed says it's kind of shy of rage. I actually think it's superior to I agree. Uh, rage as far as damage is concerned. Let's face it. I, this fighters, as they level up, get way more attacks than anything else. Yeah, and I think that makes a difference. Yeah. Ed says rage uh, is not controlled, and this sounds more precise. I would say from a lore standpoint, that's probably accurate, right? That's fair. But yeah, so this, I really like this because I like to do wield, and honestly, I feel like this makes do, do wielding. Not suck. Well, I I don't think it sucks already, but um, it's well, it starts off pretty good at low levels, but once you start leveling up a little bit more, it kind of starts to fall behind. We're gonna have an episode on dual wielding because I have a million arguments of why it doesn't suck. It makes dual wielding more effective, especially as a strength build, because if you've let's say you take the feet and you've got two one d eight weapons, you now have two one d eight weapons and two d four. Yep. Because it says uh, per, per hit. Per hit, right? Yeah. So whenever you deal damage, so that definitely is yeah, that's silly. A, a little bit of a buff to do wielding, in my my opinion, and I actually think that might be what this is going for. As you read through, you'll see that it sounds more like it's more for do wielding than anything else. But that might just be my perception, <laughs> since I love do wielding. Um, but so this raw damage, do you think it, it's, it kind of talks about him just swinging harder? Um, you, if you really wanted to take the brute feature and not be just about power, you could probably argue uh, a more of a uh, a skilled, you know, finesse style approach as well. But um, since it's not locked to just strength builds, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't say it is. Yeah. So, what do you think about this ability there, Camden? Uh, I think this is really cool. This is definitely a power uh, a power ability um, for any power player. Any optimizer who just really wants to beat shit up, yeah. um, I, I think this is this is fun. Yeah, this, I mean, at, makes your numbers bigger. <laughs> yeah, once you get to the fifth level and you get three attacks, and let's say you're dual wielding uh, long swords. Well, if you're using the extra action attack. surge and action surge, yeah, extra attack and action surge, yeah, at fifth level, that could that's gonna add a lot of that dice is gonna become a game changer. I think. Plus um, the all-hand attacks, so that's four potentially for a dual-wielding fighter at level five. Okay. Uh, Camden, do you want to take the next feature? And, and our hasted. Uh, surely. Uh, the next feature you get at seventh level, and it's called Brutish Durability. At seventh level, your toughness allows you to shrug off assaults that would devastate others. Whenever you make a saving throw, you roll a d6 and add it to your saving throw total. If applying this bonus to a death save... It inc- uh, inc- if applying this bonus to a death saving throw increases the total to 20 or higher, you gain the benefits of rolling a 20 on the d20. And Ian, what are the benefits of rolling a d20 on a death save? You wake back up with 1 HP. Now, that's a big deal. Why do you think that that's a big deal? You're more likely to pop back up. You waste less time trying to save yourself. Yes, and that means you can, kind of going back to Ian's point, that you can be more reckless because you know you don't have to, somebody else doesn't have to wake you up in middle of combat. 
you have a chance to get yourself up and a pretty mighty chance. Because if you roll a D a, a, a D twenty and a D six, I mean that significantly increases. I don't know the percentage of that. I probably could have ran those numbers. I probably should have. Theoretically, if you roll a fourteen on the D twenty and a six on the D six, yeah, you can still get up. Yeah. So that's that's pretty amazing, if you ask me. Um, I think that uh, this is essentially like a improved permanent bless, right? Yeah. Because not only are you avoiding the uh, like the the saving throws, you're increasing the saving throws instead of a D one D four like bless, it's a one D six. That's huge. That means you're less likely to take lots of damage from fireball. You're less likely to be mind controlled. You're less likely to fall under any of those types of uh, of spells, making you overall more resilient. So I guess the question is, what's better, this this uh, brutish durability or the 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 rage? Hmm. Because half damage is nice, yeah. But being able to shrug off mind control effects and stuff like that—something to be said about that for sure. I'd say, I mean, because rage only gives you advantage on the strength shit. This yep. gives you advantage on everything. Yeah, that's... Not, not not literal advantage, but. But at the same you... time, too, though, so if you take like the uh, bear totem, path of the barbarian, and uh, you're uh, raging, you actually do resist all but psychic damage. So there's definitely a trade-off either way. Yeah, I, I agree. But that's tight. I, I like that because you can you can reflavor that as like your character is just so thick in the head and just <laughs> just like a a brick shit house of a person. He's a brick house. <laughs> like I love I love that. That's a really cool mechanic manifestation of uh what I would envision for a character like this. Sam actually asked an interesting question, even though it's kind of off topic. He says, would you allow bardic inspiration for a saving throw? Death saves are saving throws. So, yes, I would. Um, so, I'm pretty sure there's a sage advice out there for that somewhere, if I'm not mistaken. Probably. Um, anyways. Yeah, actually, I th- when I was thinking about this, I thought what more fit... I was trying to think of a flavor that fit like a thug feel more than a barbarian being just like the ragey-ragey type thing. And I envision like, um, let's say somebody's shooting fire or fireball spells at you or something. I envision this character like spinning their weapons to try to, you know, reflect the mo- majority of the blast or something <laughs> stupid <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Thanks for that. <laughs> Who needs a soundboard when I got you? Um, and that's so I was trying to think of other ways that I could see this kind of functioning other than it just being a, a raw physical toughness. Um, you could argue that if they are using a, you know, a shield, you can fit a shield's flavor into this um, and say that, you know, your yeah. your shield is helping you in all these different ways as well. Or maybe you're like Magneto and you can argue that your helmet gives you protection from freaking, you know, spells or whatever. I don't know. Magic just... helmet. <laughs> Juggernaut. Oh, uh, you guys are funny. Um, yeah, I'm the juggernaut, you bitch. <laughs> He's a juggernaut. Uh, um, so yeah, that one is that by far is the ability that kind of stood out the most of all of them, in my opinion. Um, Ian, what's the next feature they get? At tenth level, you gain an additional fighting style, which is always pretty good when you're a fighter, because I think most archetypes only get one. The champion gets what? What? Two? Three? So this would have two. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, okay, so of the fighting styles, which do you think would most fit this kind of play style? Well, I think, like you were saying earlier, there's a pretty solid argument for uh, dual wielding. I would agree. Yes. 
And that that's honestly the one I think would be the most fitting. Because now, uh, for those of you who don't know, when you do wield, you don't add your modifier to the offhand damage. So by innately, it's just weaker. Yeah. Right? While the one, the extra D4, the extra dice is going to offset that a little bit, not having your plus four or plus five strength modifier is going to gonna hit you pretty hard. That's where the, the fighting style and the feet come in. Yes. Working tandem. I agree. Yep. 100%. So the, the brute force and the uh, additional fighting styles uh, for, like, this really makes dual wielding appealing to me. So I think I'm going to try to run these as one of these times when I can. But still, Jimmy uses the other options, too, though. Like, uh... Duelist, you're already adding plus two to your damage straight up already. If you're just using like one hand with one weapon, yeah. If you're rocking a shield in the other, yeah. Or if actually, I ran a, I ran I ran a duelist once that didn't use a shield, but he just grappled bitches. He grabbed you by the throat and then stabbed you. Worked yeah. right yeah. into the ground and stabbed you. Why everyone else stabbed you? <laughs> Basically, any fighting style that adds to your damage in some way, shape, or form, like dual wielding, obviously the duelist and the two hander. Yeah, can't go wrong, really. Camden, what is the next feature they get? So at 15th level, you get an ability called Devastating Critical. Ooh, that was really when good. You score, when you score a critical hit with a weapon attack, you gain a bonus to that weapon's damage roll equal to your fighter level. Makes half-orcs more fun. Yeah, okay. Um, That's awful. That's, that's silly. So at 15th, at 15th level, let's say... I have a dice calculator up, so pick a weapon. Uh, I'm gonna. I want you to do the. Okay. <laughs> I want to see how much this would max out. You're a half orc. Yep. So we got. We have. We have two d12 plus twenty. Yep. Is that it? Yeah. So that's a max of forty-four potentially. I feel like it should be more than that. No. That's correct. It's a maximum of forty-four, and you're averaging thirty-three. You guys forgot something. Yes. Damn it. Did you add the extra D6 to every attack? What? From the brute force? No. No. I think it's a D8. No, D6. No, it's a D... At the 15th level, it's the D10 one. Or the 10th level one, which is D6. Okay, so plus a D6. That's a maximum of 50 and an average of 37. It's a D6 for every attack. Yeah, but the crit's only one, one attack. If you crit, yeah. Thirty-seven for one hit. Oh, you're talking about for one hit. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow. And jeez. But also keep in mind too that the barbarians, not that this is a barbarian, only get two attacks. While fighters at level twenty can get four. Yeah. You, and you literally can't get lower than a twenty-three if you crit. If you crit, that's insane. That's nuts. Yeah, and this comes back to why I think this is good for dual wielding, because um, at max level and at any point when you're dual wielding, the damage themselves might be less. But if you anytime you can increase the number of hits means you can increase the number of chances you get a critical. Right. Um, and dual wielding always has one extra assuming attack. You, assuming you use your bow action or anything else, of course. Right. But fight, do fighters have a whole lot of utility there? Some, but not. Yeah. I think for mostly the uh, like. But, uh, but keep in recovery. mind. Yeah, but also keep in mind too that it's not just fighters that dual wield too. But we're talking about the fighters, so whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Ed says it sounds like somebody likes to stack the dice. May they forever be in your favor. Um, all right, so that's a really exciting one. The last one we have here is the Survivor. At 18th level, you attain the pinnacle of resilience in battle. 
At the start of each of your con turns in combat, you regain hit points equal to 5 plus your con modifier, minimum of 1. You don't regain this benefit if you have uh, you don't gain this benefit if you have 0 hit points or if you have more than half your hit points. Um, I just want to say Wolverine's regeneration, fuck yeah. Cuz that's basically what this is, right? As long as you're below half health, you regenerate every round. Okay. You know, it occurred to me as we were reading this that it's some somewhat resembled the earlier builds of the fighter during the playtest. You noticed that too, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't. I couldn't remember because it's been so long. Right. But it sounds familiar. Right. That might be why. I mean, it's not one to one. Right. Because like the well, like what, when Billy had the fighter was basically kind of like the uh, precursor of the battle master, but the difference was the maneuver die increased in size you leveled up, but instead of getting like three that you get back. I, after a short rest or four or whatever, you got it back at the beginning of each of your turns. The catch though right. is you can use it either during your turn or as part of a reaction. Oh, okay. So you, and you can do a lot more things, so you have more versatility. But here yeah. it's just I do more damage. And that I mean that seems to be what it's going for. Like I would argue that I originally would argue that the in spite of all these features that the um, barbarian would be much better at taking damage, while the brute is more about dealing the damage. That's fair. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Actually, that seems to be a pretty good summary of uh, Fighter vs. Barbarian in the first place, too. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we mentioned the half-orc. Um, let's step back to brutish dur durability. Um, doesn't the half-orc have a racial that when they get down to below one, they can have a chance to withstand the blow and stay at one? Yeah. So now if you're, yes. if you're a half-orc, you have a chance to withstand the blow. And if you go under, you have a chance to come back. How many times can they use that? Just once per long rest? Something like that, yeah. Oh, man. That's still pretty good. I, I like this. Um, I personally would play this character as more of a flourishing character, where it's less about just raw talent, but my ability to um, block or evade blows. Like, um, you know when somebody punches, you know, in like movies where somebody punches and they twist their head just enough to absorb the impact and then they shrug it off, as opposed to just taking it head on? I envision this being more like that. If the Barbarian's the guy who just lets him get punched and then just looks at him like, what the hell? You got this guy that, as he's being punched, he twists his body just enough to absorb the impact where it looks like he took a direct hit and then... Rolling with the punches. Yes, thank you. Yes, rolling with the he's punches. Paid, he's paid his nickel. You can come and take him. Ah, jeez. Um, another thing is, like, uh, I wa uh, you ever watch Roroni Kenshin? Uh, yeah. Like a samurai anime. Um, when he's fighting, he often uses his sheath in his sword to block incoming blows as opposed to uh, taking them. But when he does have to take them, he twists and, and contorts his body so that it doesn't hurt him as much. And I think that that's really cool. And that's kind of what I envision coming out of this guy, this guy here. Actually, that's totally what Karama did during one fight against that one ice demon. Yes. <laughs> you you the man, dude. Ten cool points for the Yu Hakusho reference. If you haven't seen that, bar none, one of the, one of the coolest uh, Shonen Jump style animes. It's like DBZ. No. With a plot. Yes. Okay, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything that made Dragon Ball Z cool, but there's actually an but interesting better. story and characters. Uh, there's even a Vegeta. He-yay. Yep. Yep. Anyways, um, is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on? Something we might have missed or ideas that kind of spring from this uh, concept? I think you do a lot of cool shit with this. I think I'm going to play this if I play on uh, Wednesday. Yeah, you should bring it. I would love to um, see it in action. Hell yeah! I've never played like I've never played like a so. dumb character before, so I'm excited. Well, it doesn't have to be dumb. Come on, people! <laughs> I like, like the rabbits. Like a tanky, like a tanky <laughs> damage 
E. Hey, look, Travis are inside the shotgun. Ooh. <laughs> Jeez. Bam. Um, all right, so that'll do it for our main topic today. Um, I'm really interested to give this a shot. I'm really curious to how much damage this thing can put out, as, as well as how good of a beating it can take. Um, how, how do I put this? How much damage can it put out? Have you ever seen a wood chipper? <laughs> uh, what is that uh, in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights where the guy gets shot with an arrow and he just uh, swings his daggers and cuts them up? I envision that the, this is that kind of that char- character, but with like swords. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Uh, that'll do it for our main topic. Uh, the Unearthed Arcana Fighter Archetype Brute. Before we move to our f- final segment, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks, we have one more gift to give away, compliments of Loresmith. Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness, compliments of Loresmith. Loresmith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. Ian, who's our winner? Our winner today is Daniel Evan Polster. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside <laughs> did you just alternatively do the scuba thing yeah i did i couldn't i'm too fat so I, I couldn't get below my belly but you get the idea congratulations daniel evan polster if you enjoy the adventure please head on over to laura smith and let him know what you like what you didn't like leave him a review let him help him improve his product moving forward Moving on to our uh, fourth and final segment, we have our Unearthed Tips and Tricks, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. Our character concept this week comes from patron Kenny. Big ups, Kenny, for the the submission. Uh, This is a really cool one. You're the man. I don't care what everyone says about you. A super sleuth detective named Diego Tora is a tabaxi inquisitive rogue. This character excels at problem solving and is truly an asset to the team. But where the fun of this character lies is that you ham up the fact that they are a cat. <laughs> if someone splashes water on them, they go on an angry rage fit. Stuck in the rain, they growl and sulk until they're dry and drink a glass of cold milk. Instead of greeting friends or allies with a handshake, they give an affectionate headbutt. <laughs> Sometimes when they're exploring a room for clues or checking for traps, they can't help but to tap things until they're knocked off the table. <laughs> If a party member is hungry or has proven that they're an inept hunter, this character will hunt birds and vermin, bringing them back in their mouth, placing them at the foot of their bedroll or window. If someone rubs up against you against the grain of your fur, you must fight a strong urge to bite their hands off, all while giving them your most intense evil eye. (laughs) So when I read this, the... I envision this being the perfect rogue because my cats like to peek around corners, like just so subtly that they can. I can just see like half their face, and then I kind of look at them, and then they disappear behind it. So I just automatically thought this would be an awesome uh, rogue who runs off and does these things to, uh, at night. But I started giggling my head off when I read the part about them headbutting people because my cats always jump up on my lap and like 
smash their heads into my arm or something to get pet. And I think that would be hilarious to have as a uh, as a character who just you approach the noble. He holds out his hand for you to kiss his ring, and you nestle up to him. <laughs> this made me think of the YouTube video where there's like a cat that's sleeping. Mm-hmm. They saw like just like a one guy with this huge beard. It slowly came into frame right next to the cat. <laughs> and he meowed really loudly at the cat and jumped up startled. That's funny. Oh, I'm sorry. Were you sleeping? <laughs> I think that you would have so much fun with this. Like, he talks about the wild hunting of the vermin and bring him to the bedroll. I think it would be hilarious if you brought him to other people's bedroll. Because that's what my cat does. She just brings me random shit and just leaves it there and then, like, scurries away. So that would just become, like, a thing. You know, like, every night somebody wakes up with some other critter out their bed. <laughs> That'd be uh, fun. Yeah, the other thing that immediately comes to mind is uh, Puss in Boots, as depicted by DreamWorks in the Shrek movies. Oh, yes. By Antonio yes. Banderas. And he's got, the, he's got the special look that makes everyone just... Just charms the hell out of everyone right out of their boots. Unless he's in Donkey's body. Yeah. Unless he's in Donkey's <laughs> body. Yeah, didn't he get like, his ass kicked trying to use that when he was in Donkey's body? Ah! Kill it! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kenny. It's a fun one. Yes, and and I love I love funny stuff like this. I could imagine everyone like having to visit and be like, uh, what are you doing? Um, scratching my claws every time he sits in a cat tavern and he's like scratching the hell out of the wall sharpening his talons things like that <laughs> my cats do that to my walls and it's horrible but then he'll like get a constant bar tab where he has to pay to have a piece of wood replaced <laughs> uh, Kenny says he just loves how many ways you can play a cat and everyone just thinks is this how all tabaxi are <laughs> Oh, I really this this is awesome. So now I got to run a Tabaxi brute. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, so that'll do it for a character concept. Thank you so much, Kenny, um, for submitting it. Our monster variant of the podcast is the Time Wizard. Gee, I wonder where you got that from. So if you don't know, I am part of a group who is compiling a free distribution of monsters of the shadow realm they're monsters that are based on cards from Yu-Gi-Oh. yep and this is one that i had uh created the origin for this is the cult fanatic this oddly shaped construct is similar to that of a clock the creature was brought to life by a powerful mage who was obsessed with magic surrounding time his goal was to master all aspects of time through magical manipulation the mage found it extremely difficult to focus and bend time to his w- own will. He ended up developing a powerful conduit to control the power. The mage made many iterations of the powerful sentient constructs, but in spite of his best efforts, many often malfunctioned or failed entirely to produce a satisfactory effect. As a result, the time wizard's use of magic is extremely unreliable and dangerous for both the wizard and its enemies. A last gamble. Knowing its magic is unpredictable, it only uses it when it has no other options. The mace it carries resembles that of a magical wand. On the end of the mace is a wheel that contains four faces, with an arrow that spins in the center. There are two different alternating faces, a skull representing a negative effect and a star representing a positive effect. When the time wizard casts its time roulette, the roulette spins and randomly lands on a face that determines the magical effect. <sighs> Sorry, that was long-winded, but I had to have a nice description when I put this on there. The time roulette. When the wizard's hit points drop below half its maximum, 
it can use its reaction to cast slow. Flip a coin. If the coin lands on heads, the time wizard casts the slow spell as normal. If it lands on tails, the time wizard becomes the only target of the spell. I think uh, it cast that spell on the audience as I listened to that explanation. Yeah, it was long. Well, I put a lot of time into that fucker, <laughs> all right? And I wanted people to see it, hear it, okay? Did you not like it? It was fun. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Would that be me if I was not heckling you a little bit? No, it's kind of how it goes. Of course, Kenny says, Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah. Um, so uh, there, for this to fit in the... Um, <clears throat> The cult fanatic category, um, you need to change the dagger to a mace to fit the theme, as well as you have to prepare certain spells. Get rid of all the cult spells and replace it with Booming Blade, Firebolt, Minor Illusion, Absorb Elements, Magic Missile, Shield, uh, Mirror Image, and Phantasmal Force. Um, That's a lot of changes, because you're completely changing the spell list, but considering this character is all about trying to use the enemy's strengths against him because he's not that strong you have the absorb elements to enhance his next you know booming blade attack and shield to protect himself and then you know mirror image to create clones of himself so it's a lot of good stuff um but what really gets it is that he has a third level spell that is not part of the cult's um cult fanatic spell list because it's his feature making him have potentially a higher cr but also we could hurt him be his own downfall so risk versus reward i suppose what do you guys think Uh, it seems pretty fun i love anything where there is a risk of negative outcome um beyond just wasting a spell slot you know um so i think the whole the whole coin flipping thing can offer some great um some some really cool scenarios yeah. Um, I think the the whole story behind it that this variety of magic is unreliable and demonstrating that in that mechanic is really cool. Awesome. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Um, I think it's cool because you could go about describing the effects of the time roulette as it's spinning and as they're looking at it as it slowly tips waiting to see what happens because they pro- if they've never seen something like this before, it would really catch them uh, off guard. <laughs> Kenny says, you have no choice in a shadow game. <laughs> but I really like uh-huh. this, and I was really happy to do, do this for that book, so keep an eye out. I don't know when it's supposed to schedule to come out, but I have two monsters in it, the Time Wizard and the Meteor Dragon. Not so fun. The uh, four kids that they made to the show. Some of them painfully obvious. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Yeah, so I'm really excited for this. I think this would be great in like a, a very cool wizard's tower where you using stuff to alter reality. You know, they walk in one door and they're on the ceiling, that sort of stuff. This fits right into it. And the fact that it's a construct just made it that much cooler. So, um, of course, it comes with all the, the benefits of a construct, too. So technically, you should look at the, that conditions yeah. list. But I forgot yeah. to type that in or I didn't co- copy and paste it right. Whatever. Whatever. Ian. Our encounter of the podcast. Riddles of a Guardian. Obviously, you give somebody riddles. One example, I have seas with no water, coasts without sand, cities without people, mountains without land. What am I? Hey, Camden. Do you know what that is? I'm still computing. Compute quicker. I don't have all night. Is it a... Is it a book? Close. Actually. Is a, is a, I don't know. It's a map. It's a map. 
right? D- fuck. Seas without water, coasts without sand. Or another one. one. I am really touched, but often held. Those with wit use me well. Dun, dun, dun. I forget he's got the answer, so he probably could just scroll down and look at him if you want to. Any guesses? Are we quizzing me right now? Yes. Well, you and the audience, if they want to participate. Is it the tongue? Yes. Yes. Hell yeah. Oh, and what about the last one? Often I will spend a tale, but never for a fee. I'll entertain you an entire eve, but alas, you won't remember me. Um, is it a, is it a prostitute after a bad trip? No, Ed got it. It's a dream. Um, I really like these puzzles. If you have not played um, Dragon Age, um, yeah. in Dragon Age, when you are a mage, I was about to say Warcraft, and you go into the uh, the the fade, the fade um, you run into this undead like zombie bear thing, and he challenges you with a, a puzzle. And this is the one I ran into, and I thought it was so cool. I just had to share it. I think my favorite riddle from Dragon Age was a uh, one riddle was. What can a small bird carry that a great man cannot, may not? And the answer was a tune. But one of the options was a coconut. Oh, <laughs> I like the little subtle poke towards uh, Monty Python. And I almost picked it on principle. Oh, Ed says, I got the notes, lol. Cheater. Um, so I really like these. I think these are simple. You can either use them all at once or keep them in your back pocket. They're really good riddles. Um, and I, like I said, I had a lot of fun trying to figure them out when I was going through the game, so I really wanted to share them. Reminds me of the uh, meme I saw online of like a DM typing into Google, puzzles for children. Yes, I saw yes. that. I was cracking get, up. Get, That's funny Don't one. you think you're being mean to your players? Really? You think I'm being mean to my players? They came across a red-domed force field with animal skeletons in it and dead grass. To even drive the point home, I had a bird fly into it, and it's like immediately fell undead. Guess what they did? Guess. Come on, guess. What? Well, one player stuck his head in it. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> all right, so that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast, The Riddles of the Guardian. Um, like I said, tossing this in with like a, like a, a big talking door or a sphinx or, you know, an undead zombie in the shadow fell, you know, whatever. It's always good, and that's a kind of a classic encounter. So, um, Camden, would you like to take our magic item? Certainly. Uh, the magic item of the podcast is the Banshee Shriek. It is a long sword. And the hilt of the sword is made from skull, uh, made from the skull of a small banshee wrapped in pink flesh. This weapon is fueled by the spirits of long dead demons in order to power its attacks. It has an ability called Whale. Uh, once per long rest and the banshee in the hilt releases a mournful wail and this wail is no, has no effect on constructs or undead but all other creatures within 30 feet of you that can hear it must make a dc 10 constitution save or if it has less than 20 hp on a fail the creature will drop to zero hp on a success the creature only takes 3d6 psychic damage additionally any creature who failed this check has its soul sucked into the hilt and devoured by the banshee inside the caster may spend a hit die to recover hit points so i can't believe i forgot about this i was on uh inner party conflict 
And one of the things that came up was like your favorite magic item you've ever had. And this was one that I had. Now, it's been retooled for 5th edition, but in the same token, it does pretty much the same thing. Sam says 10, so low, hee <laughs> hee. Well, you'll notice it says all creatures. That includes your allies. So there is definitely a trade. And if the creature has 20 or less hit points on a fail, it instantly kills them. Um, once again, this includes your own players, your own team. So it is a very dangerous weapon. It's more of a last man standing type of thing because there's really there's really no risk to you, but there's risk to all your allies. And sure, it does a little bit of damage, but the big thing is, is it allows you to instantly spend a hit die to recover, so, uh, recover your health as it sucks in the soul and converts it to like a healing yep. opportunity. What do you think, Camden? I think this is really cool. Um, I think, like you said, this would certainly be a, a last PC standing item to use. Um, I also like the this could be flavored, and I've been playing my Necromancer character I was talking about before a lot like this, mm-hmm. where you can be like, "All right, stand back," and you can like get your get your uh, party mates to you know like run and duck. Oh yeah, uh, but you could reflavor this as something that's vicious and barely within your control um and you could reflavor it as oh get get back i'm gonna do something really bad uh and <laughs> let it loose um i really i really like it this is really yeah. cool and and 20 hit points seems like a a, a a a lot but it's not no i mean compared to like commoners who have like what four hit points it might be um, this was, this could wipe the floor with an entire room of commoners, but once you start to fight monsters, you know, above like, uh, uh, not kobolds, but uh, uh, big smart military ones, hobgoblins. Yeah, hobgoblins. When, when, yeah. You, when you start to get to that level and higher, it's not as potent without weakening them. But this easily could be used as a tool to save yourself from like a bunch of crappy guards or goblins or, or something. Or if I up to a, a party where's this fireball. Ooh, nice. So whatever is left from the fireball, um, this one takes out. That'd be a good combination. Um, I really like this item. I loved using it when I had it as a player. Um, It worked a little bit differently, but the concept is the same, and I really enjoyed it. And for some reason, I was listening back through Interparty Conflicts episodes, and I remembered this item, so I had to go find it. I did make some changes, though, um, because I think it was originally the numbers were a little higher. But you like this, Ian? Yeah. Um, that'll do it for our magic item of the podcast, the Banshee Shriek. Um, our DM tip of the podcast is false information. It's normal on our low roll to say you don't hear anything, you don't see anything, you don't know what this is, you don't know what that is. That's pretty, that's pretty common, right? Have you guys ever heard that? I thought you said it was clear. I said it looked clear. <laughs> uh, but what about using those low rolls to feed inaccurate information? Um... For those roles that aren't really, really low, but aren't really high either. Maybe they're somewhere in the middle. Um, easily can be used to misidentify something, right? Maybe feed into a player's paranoia. Ooh, I like that. They hear roar. Guys, I think I heard a dragon. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe they think it's a dragon, but in fact, it's a, you know, a, a wolf hauling or something. You know, something like that could lead them to thinking, oh, we think we think we spotted this. Um, we didn't, in fact, spot that, but you're preparing to fight that, and it turns out to be something else. You can really throw the players off for their preparation, too. Yeah, there was one time where we were a perception check, and the D 
DM said, you see off in the distance what look like uh, lizard, reptilian-like creatures are walking their back two legs. I'm like, oh, that's probably just goblins then. We got this. Charge! It was lizard men. Lizard folk, yeah. <laughs> Which are way bigger. And, and, and that's, that's a really good example because um, oftentimes we rely on them to feed them exactly what we want. Um, but what happens when they make a mistake? You know, what if, uh, you say, give me a perception check and they all roll really poopy. You recognize the insignia as this clan and you got the players start investigating that clan and, and starting to try to, you know, assume they, they're right and are trying to force their will upon these people either to do what they want or to bring them into custody or what have you. And then turns out that when you finally get it all together, you've done slain a few of these clan members, you've dragged their, their leader up to the, the, the council for council for their um their judgment, and it turns out that the player made a mistake, mistaken identity, and now the other clan has been, you know, accused of this and you know, what do you do? Oh crap, oh Sam hey dropped the M word. <laughs> uh oh. Oh, metagame? Yeah. 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 Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so uh, Kenny says... Uh, I like the idea of explaining what they saw based on their role, but still being somewhat ambiguous, so they can't reach a definitive conclusion on how wh- what they see. See, I think that telling them what they think they see is even better, personally. That could work, too. Because, you know, you think you smell this. You, th- you think you smell, you know, incendiary chemicals or something. Hey, and guys, I smell gas. How are they going to react to that? Turns out it's not gas, just somebody let one go, or it's an incense or something like that. Or vice versa. Oh, you smell, you smell the scent of incense. It's really, it's kind of, not your flavor, but you can, you can see why somebody might like it. And turns out it's, you know, methane and kaboom, you know. They bring yeah. in a torch and light up their torch and, you know. Instantly becomes a, 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 a whole new problem. Yeah. Camden, what do you think, buddy? I really like this. I've never thought of this before. Um, I'd say be careful uh, with this, uh, with beginning players, because then they'll soon just, like, question everything around them. But they should. Um, but Right. Nailed it. But, like, to a, to a certain extent. I Like, I see your point, and the, they should be questioning everything around them. Um, and I see how this could foster uh an atmosphere of that always questioning things around them but i I feel like that can get a little bit out of hand so i'd say use this in moderation and i'd say lean more into ambiguity unless it's a nat one and you like really want to fuck with them i'd say definitely lean into the ambiguity like oh this is i could also see very similar to this that is wrong I could be actually see this being done where, and I can definitely understand why a lot of people would not play this kind of game, mind you, but there are some games where the DM rolls the skill checks for the players behind the screen. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I know, but, but I'm, neither am I, to be right. fair, but I can see how this uh, tip could feed into yeah. that. Well, the, the point, the more point of this is because yeah. everyone knows something happens on a crit and something happens on a fail. This was the, originally came up with this tip because what happens when it's in between? What happens when you get a roll that you're, let's say I set the DC at 15 they and 14. they get a 14 yeah. and I give them a piece of information. They're going to, A, assume that, oh, I rolled high enough. Why do they do that? That's because everything we always have told them is you don't find anything or you find this. It's always been that binary choice, at least in the, the games that I've been in in the past. You don't believe you hear anything. Well, see, even saying it that way, it says... It, oh, I know. I like that better, though. You believe you saw a humanoid shadow. Okay. Is that really what they saw? 
and when they find out that it's not a humanoid, that it's a fucking giant or something, I don't know, a giant's foot. Who knows? I mean, I don't. I can't think of a good example right now. But a suit of armor. The yeah, there you go, a suit of armor. You see a, a lurking shadow, and it turns out that it's a animated armor. You know, um, the point. Uh, the point originally I thought of this was that what do you do with those in between numbers that are just what happens when you don't quite identify what you're looking at? You misidentify it. Mm-hmm. And so what what then what story then comes from that? Because if players know that no matter what their role, something's going to happen and their character's knowledge is going to be uh, used to drive the story forward. And sometimes it's a mistake. Sometimes you make the wrong decisions. It's no different than when you're trying to kick down a door. Some people say you can either succeed or you can fail. And that's really not the only two options. It's I kicked down the door or I couldn't kick down the door and now I made a noise and the guard comes. Or I tried to kick down the door and I couldn't so I asked for help and this other person helps me and they couldn't. And in the meantime, you know, somebody opens the door from the other side. You know, there's always more than just the binary choices and I feel like um, as a DM, sometimes we forget that with those numbers that are somewhere in between. Does that make sense? Oh, it was a pull door, not a push. Something like that. Yes, that's a good example. Thank you for that. Um, there's a lot of chat simmering in there. What, what's going on in there? Sam says, at some level, you need to be able to trust the DM. I disagree. I disagree utterly. Um, it's my job as the DM to interpret your choices and what the dice do. If the dice say you slip and fell off a cliff because you rolled a nat 1... Um, it's then my decision that, okay, you slipped and fell off the cliff. Now what? I think he means in the sense of like, the, uh, the players must uh, trust the DM to the point where they hope the DM's not being unfair. Okay, I can see that. So do you think that it would be unfair for them to accidentally misidentify stuff? No. What else has he got? He's got a lot of stuff there. And, and if I'm misinterpreting that, please uh, correct me. The DM needs to use the correct words and allow the players to make the assumption. So is that any, I guess, is that any different than saying, you hear a howling, give me a nature check. You roll a 23, you hear a dragon. Um, and that's say you got a 23 and then you roll a 15. You think you hear a dragon. Okay. Um, you got a 10. You think you hear a wolf, maybe a really big wolf, dire wolf. It's still a dragon, but their role has dictated what they think they hear. Now, if they've experienced it before... Maybe you lower the DC as the DM in favor yeah. of that information, right? Or, or give them an advantage. Or give them advantage on those checks. It feels like they're, especially if they're a ranger, now they're especially. Yeah. In the old editions, anyway. Anyway, I think we can move on. <laughs> Sam says, I have started to do it. You believe you are stealthy. Man, my man, those are my favorite lines. You, you think you're stealthy. Because <laughs> really, that's the same, that, that's a perfect example there, Sam, is with stealth checks. If... The guy is trying to be sneaky, and the player rolls a, a five. They're going to think, oh, I failed. Did you? How do you know? You can't possibly know what the other people are perceiving. So your character isn't going to be, like, stepping and then uh, not notice that he isn't being stealthy unless you want to go to the route that he knocked something over or he creaked on a, a, a broken, you know, piece of wood or a creaky piece of wood. or you know. So you can use that to tell the story, whether they interpret that. I guess is how detailed you get with it. Yeah. And our player tip of the podcast is... Don't be a dick. And you can avoid dick to by... Don't pick crappy PC names. Has anybody ever played a player with a uh, name Bob? Or Joe? Or Billy? Fuck you, Bob. Piece of shit. How about you? Yeah. yeah. I do you, think Bob. it's a good tip because, let's face it, somebody giving a character a really bad name can definitely uh, bring down the game, if you will, or pull you out... 
Like, wait, what? Yeah, like, just imagine this oppor- this thing. Thorg, what do you think we should do next? I don't know, Peggy Shoe. <laughs> 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 it just, it doesn't fit. You know, and as stupid as that sounds, there's people that do that. Well, okay, I do, I do think... Peggy Sue. <laughs> I do feel like I have to put an asterisk next to this one. Because okay. I do feel like, if well executed, a stupid name can actually work. Like, I think a bad example for is, like, when I watch Harmon Quest, one of the guest stars named to your character Hawaiian Coffee. I thought that was stupid. I still think that was stupid. <laughs> However, I have experiences in the past of giving my characters stupid names, but I made it work. All right, Nut Puncher. Well, to be fair, it fit the character. It did. And it was more of a nickname. Yeah. For example, like my very first like uh, D and D character I ever ran, his name was he was a half orc bar- barbarian named Fruit Bat. Yes, that's ridiculous. But the joke though was he was as dumb as a Fruit Bat, and so it stuck. Yes, so that 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 kind of fit, and you pl- you played to that. Um, and I've also like d- done other goofy names, like uh, I once ran an elven monk named Bazu of the Ka Clan. Bazooka, really, dude? Yeah. Oh my god. Something like that can work. <laughs> Bazooka. Oh my god. Yep. The DM, I could tell by my DM's facial expression, he caught on to it right away, but nobody else did. I would have never caught that if you would have came in. Like, didn't they do that in uh, Event- Adventure Zone? Probably. Where, like, in the very beginning, his, my name is T A A K. Oh, did you motherfucking name him Taco? Or something like that. I don't remember, but it was ridiculous. And then his whole goal was to make tacos, I guess. Yep. Or I am Ham, and I am from the house of Ear Time. Okay, you just need to stop, dude. Damn. <laughs> uh, Camden, what do you think? Uh, I totally agree with this. It really, this is one that, like, pretty unironically grinds my gears. Or <laughs> um, just, like, the the thing is, the reason this like pisses me off so much is there is no excuse not to come up with a cool name. Oh yeah, even, absolutely. Even if you don't have like the mind for it, if that's not your proclivity at all, there are literal thousands of names that they give you in the book. Um, resources online, just hit up a hit up a name generator, pick a name that sounds exotic i don't know there's no excuse not to come up with a cool name yeah i mean yeah. you you hit it right on the head you know that there's there's different ways to make your character even tied to the setting you know in the book they have examples for um by race i think you know for instance like the halflings they have the the family names that are often kind of nicknames that stuck you know um so tenaciously that they've been passed down to the generations and now they have weird names like you know roscoe Goodbarrel or corin cobblepot you know Things like that fit the story. I, as a player, would hate it if I walked up to a merchant and he says, Hi, uh, my name's Tiffany. Um, what can I do for you? I got a big hammer here. Yep. Well, uh, That's my buddy uh, Johnny over there, and there's Phyllis. I can, to be fair, though, I can understand if your person character started off as a commoner, like maybe a farmer, and maybe they were thrusted into the adventure life against their will. <laughs> I, oh, I didn't tell you that those were dwarfs. Oh. You see what I mean? It can totally, just something like that can totally ruin the immersion for a player. How do you think that, Matt, Matt, how that affects the other players if it's your character? Um, 
I think I think you hit it right on, Camden. There are so many resources, either in the player's handbook as well as um, the back of Xanthers guys has a whole has too many, if you ask me, names for different races and 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 and, and stuff like that. And but like I said, though, I think we do need to put an asterisk on this tip because I believe if you do it right, it can still work. Yeah, and and for some games that's okay. Like if you do a lot of one shots, who gives a shit what your name is? You know, it's a one shot. Your character's gonna be dead by a disintegration ray again. <laughs> Uh, to roll Garmore. into this, to roll into this, just a little mini bonus DM tip. Bonus. Have, have throwaway names ready in case they encounter an NPC and they ask what the NPC's name is, and it might not end up being important. But having cool names ready for random NPCs makes the world feel more real. You don't want to, you know, stop and talk to the commoner in the new town that you just ran into and oh and what's your name sir my name is noba uh, of of house d um, uh, my name my name is jimmy and it's like <laughs> okay no <laughs> no it's no it's not <laughs> you know so as a bonus little bonus dm tip keep some names handy i recommend donjon.bin.sh they have an awesome like npc generator that not only comes up with bitchin names random race random job brief descriptions and even a, a small stat block. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's fucking baller. It's one of my favorite resources. Because every time I go to play, I just print one of those off. And I just work my way down the list and throw it away when I'm done. Who, who are you? I'm Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's terrible. Okay. No, 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 terrible was when I just dropped and you two completely ignored it. Fair enough. I'm Noba of Clan D. Noba D? Nope. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> that took you longer than I, I thought. Well, <laughs> considering I've played with the name Nobody in many games, that kind of should have caught me quicker. Um, all right. <laughs> so I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't be a dick. And you can avoid dickitude by not picking such shitty names. Asterisk. Okay. <laughs> Read the cliff notes. <laughs> that'll do it for our show today. Before we close out, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Jeff Stevens. It's been a long few days of travel, and the adventurers are tired of eating rations and sleeping on the ground. The road opens to a small town with an inviting tavern. The smells of grilling meat and ale fill their nostrils, and the sound of laughter and music float out the tavern's door. Unlucky for the adventurers, they've stumbled upon Dragon's Breath Tavern. What starts out as a pleasant evening of food, drink, and entertainment soon evolves into an adventure that takes the party into and under Dragon's Breath Tavern. The adventure includes roleplay, exploration, combat, and a dice game called Demon Dice. Camden, who's our winner today? The winner of this week's copy of Jeff Stevens' Dragon's Breath Tavern is Nicholas Jair. Congratulations, Nicholas. If you enjoyed this adventure, please let Jeff Stevens know. Leave him a review. Let him know what you like, what you didn't like, and help him improve his products moving forward. Um, if you haven't checked it out, our sponsors, I'm pretty sure uh, Goblin Stone and Jeff Stevens for sure, have free samples of their material. If you go to uh, either Gams Guild or click the um, 
the banner on our site to go there, um, you can find some really good content. I actually have in our uh, Crit Nation segment a section that'll take you right to their like content. So check out their freebies. They got some good stuff. You want just a little taste. Please join us on our next episode where we hear feedback from you, our heroes. We will be discussing Iron Man. Sorry, I it says Iron Man. I'm sure that meant the arcane tradition school of invention. Yeah, let's go with that. And if you have any feedback, unearth tips and tricks, or topics you'd like to discuss, please send them to us. You can email them to critacademy at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at critacademy. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed your experience here at Crit Academy. If you did, please help others find us by leaving a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us. Um, and we do appreciate nice messages telling us what you like about the show. Also, be sure to give us a like and a share. I can't open it on this computer, but if you can open iTunes, we have one of the most bitchin' reviews ever that just showed up as one of the reviews, and I wanted to read it, but then I realized I couldn't open it here. So uh, Let me open it. Yeah, can you open it? Open it and then yeah. read it. It's, it should be the most recent one in the last yeah. few days. Um, while he's doing I'll that, make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com so we can help you on your future adventures, as well as enter for a chance to win cool prizes each and every week. We have lots of goodies. We have our tools section, books that we recommend uh, you can get uh, there, as well as you can buy a T-shirt with a Crit Academy logo. It's really nice. It's awesome drawing. Looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you also find our fellowship members there as well. Um, I highly recommend you check out Interparty Conflict and D&D Character Labs. Both those podcasts are awesome. I love Jeff and Gabe's show. Um, I learn a lot every time I listen to them, and I giggle my head off when I listen to D&D Character Lab. Um, those guys creating their characters and arguing is just hilarious. So definitely check them out. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Dan. And I'm your co-host, Camden. Thank you for listening. Keep your blade sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Today's episode brought to you by Thugs for Less. You bring the cash, we'll bring the smash. Damn, that's funny. <laughs> uh, uh, I found what? I found the I review. Got, You're talking I, about the most recent review. I I assume. I also got okay. the Russian clank. To be fair, yeah, I love Russian clank. What does it say, Camden? I have now made it my routine to eagerly await each new episode. I find the host's velvety tones smooth enough to enlarge my manhood. What? <laughs> As each segment passes, I feel myself closer and closer to climax. <laughs> Mother and I enjoy the show thoroughly. Um, <laughs> Hopefully not together. Maybe here. Um, th- who is who's is that from? This, this is from <laughs> the user is Horny Gerard. All right, Horny Gerard, this is for you. <laughs> Turn the volume up as loud as you can and put it against your genitals. What? That's just for you, buddy. Uh, I totally stole that from uh, Howard Stern, by the way.